Welcome, friends and family. Welcome, guests. Um, I'm going to say this knowing that it will not matter to you parents, but if you're freaking out inside because your kids are being disruptive, it's totally okay. We are a family, and this is what families are like. Um, as my wife tells me, that doesn't help, but that's all I can do. <laughs> Um, so we are uh, in the middle of a series right now, and um, it's a series we've entitled Ecclesiology. Ecclesiology means the study of the church. We're in week two of that series. Last week, we talked about the church as a big idea, the church around the world, the church globally. And if you were here, we read through the entire book of Ephesians, uh, and it just it just exalts the work of Christ through the church. Um, part of my goal in this series is, is to introduce to our congregation what, work, what is called church membership. We have an official membership role in our church. And our, if, you, if you're not aware, churches are legal entities in the United States and they have bylaws and rules. And, and so we have a membership that is required to vote on things. And that's something as a new church we haven't established, but we're establishing it this summer. And so if you're a part of our community, this series is kind of your primer on what our church is like and how it runs. So we started with a top level view of the whole church Today, we're going to talk about individuals. How do you become part of the church? And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about what it means to be a part of Revelation Church specifically. But because of that, if you are a part of our church community, uh, just a couple things to note. On your song sheet, there is a question and response texting number. If you have questions about anything that you learn over the course of the series, you can text it into that number anonymously. And at the end of the series, we're going to do a Q&R and respond to some of those questions. Also, there's a link to some membership materials. If you're like, what are our bylaws or what's our doctrinal statement or what does it take to be a member? You can go on our website and read some of that stuff. But this morning, what we want to talk about is what it means to be part of the church, part of the body of Christ. The Bible uses tons of metaphors for this, and they're all through Ephesians. We're not going to go through all of them again, but um, the idea is the church is this one big entity that Jesus made, we call it, he calls it his bride, but it's made up of many parts. Uh, Paul calls the church a body and a body is a singular unit and it's made up of many parts. What we're going to talk about this morning briefly is four parts of the process of being one of those parts. If you're taking notes, we're going to talk about becoming a part of the body. We're going to talk about proclaiming yourself part of the body. We're going to talk about living as part of the body. And we're going to talk about working as part of the body. So the first one, the big one is becoming part of the body. How do you become one of Jesus' people? How do you become a Christian? We call this salvation. We call this accepting the Lord. There's a lot, of, a lot of phrases throughout the Bible. We're going to talk about a few of them. But I think the main one is that if you want to become a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, the idea is you need to believe the gospel. The gospel is good news. That's what that word means. It is a proclamation of something that has already been done. 
This is an important thing because we often think that the gospel is stuff that we have to do, stuff that we have to accomplish. If I'm, if I'm good enough, if I follow the rules, if I check the right boxes, then I can rise to a level to where I can be a Christian. But that's not what good news is. There's a, a great example of this is if, um, if there's a battle going on, let's say it's a war, um, World War II was a good example of that. There, there was a battle going on around the world. The gospel is that news headline that I'm sure you've all seen. War is over. That's the good news. For those of the, the population that stayed at home, they didn't have to go fight the war. They had others fighting the war on their behalf, but they experienced the good news when the war was over. And the good news, this is a quote from Ray Ortland. The good news is God, through the perfect life, atoning death, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, rescues all his people from the wrath of God and into peace with God with the promise of the full restoration of his created order forever, all to the praise of the glory of his grace. Ortland said, this is about the work of Jesus. Jesus has done something in the world and he rescues his people from their own sin, from the brokenness around us. And he also restores the world on a cosmic scale because he is good. And so I want to touch on a couple ideas. The main one being grace. If you have your Bibles with you, or if you listened along as Spencer read the passage this morning in Ephesians, he read 11 verses. And in all of those verses, we have no job. There is nothing that we do in any of those verses. If you skim through it, blessed is God. God has blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us to the praise of his glorious grace. He lavished on us. In him, we have redemption. He richly poured out on us. He made known to us. He brings everything together. We have received We were sealed. We were given. All of those verbs are passive. They're all things that are being done to us. There is no point in our experience of becoming Jesus' people that we do anything. It's God's doing. If you skip forward, if you have your Bibles with you, to Ephesians 2, verse 8, Paul says, For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. There is nothing that we do to earn our relationship with God. This idea of grace, it means a gift. It means favor. Simply because God wanted to. Look at verse five with me. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself. This idea of adoption is is close to my family. My youngest daughter is adopted and we chose her. We chose her before she was born. There wasn't anything that she did to earn the right to be part of our family. In fact, we went to great expense. We went to great expense to bring her into our family. And she's a part of our family. Just because we wanted to. And this is, this is what God does for us. 
He adopts us as his children into his family. So this is the good news that Jesus has done this thing. And this is something that's, that's unique about following Christ is that the Christian experience is based on a historic set of events. The, the good news about Jesus, the fact that he lived in first century Palestine, he walked the dusty roads, he taught, he was crucified, murdered by the Roman government, exhorted by the Jewish leadership, and that he rose from the dead. This all happened in the public. Other faiths have religious traditions that, that require you to believe the story of their guru. Somebody wrote a book about a vision they had, or maybe they don't even have that. They just have a history of philosophy. Christianity is different because Christianity is based on a series of events that happened in the public square that we can look at and test. Did this really take place? And it did. And because of that, it is good news. And so what does that mean to believe the good news? A better word maybe for our generation would be trust. Do we trust Jesus? Do we trust that he is who he said he was? Um, we could say, do we follow Jesus? Do we take him seriously when he says, come do life the way I do life? Be like me? Do we follow him? A phrase that I really appreciate is, the phrase pledge allegiance. Most of us know this in context of our nation. We pledge allegiance to our flag, which means that I'm not going to go out and become a Russian spy and, you know, subvert the government. But do we pledge allegiance to Christ? Is our ultimate authority Jesus? And if we say yes, because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, yes, I want to give my life to him that's what it means to become a Christian. It's incredibly simple because God does all of it. And we just say, yes, I want that. So what happens when you become a Christian? There's a, a story in the Bible, in the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter three, and it's a foundational story about why the world is so broken. There's two people and they live in perfect relationship with God in every way. They live in perfect relationship with each other. They live in perfect relationship with themselves and with the creation around them. And instead of trusting that God knows what's best for them and that he's going to lead and guide them, they decide they're going to do that themselves. And they betray God and they make their, their choices against his will. And Adam and Eve, when they do this, they break their relationship with God. They hide from God. They break their relationship with themselves. They're suddenly ashamed of who they are. They break their relationship with others. Adam blames Eve for his sin. And then they break their relationship with creation. Work becomes toil and hardship. In the, in the book of Colossians, Paul writes, I'll turn there real quick. Colossians chapter one, verse 19. Paul says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's talking about Jesus. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so what Paul says is what Jesus is doing is he's fixing all those things that Adam and Eve broke. He's making things right. 
When you become a Christian, your relationship with God is made right. Your relationship with yourself begins to be made right because you begin to understand yourself as being in Christ's, as being one of Jesus' people. And that is your primary identity as a follower of Christ. And there's no shame in that. God creates new hearts in us and it allows us to forgive other people that have wronged us. And we begin to reconcile relationships with others through the gospel. And then ultimately we will be healed and our creation will be restored to the way it was before sin came into the world. I'm a, a filmmaker part-time and, and, and one of the things that you have to do when you're, when you're making um, videos is you have to focus the camera lens. And if the camera lens is out of focus, you can kind of see an image, but it's kind of blurry on the edges. But if you turn the focus wheel, the edges, they get sharper and sharper, and then they're completely in focus. And I kind of, I think that's a good picture of what Jesus is doing in the gospel. He's taking his good creation that's broken, that's out of focus, and he's bringing it back into focus. He's sharpening it up the way it was supposed to be. And that's what he's doing in the life of the follower of Jesus. And that's what he's doing in all of creation ultimately. And that's what we get to look forward to. So that's what it means to become a Christian. What does it mean to be, to proclaim yourself a Christian? There are two ways that we do this. And the, the first way that we do this is through baptism. Baptism, Paul talks about baptism in Ephesians chapter four. And he says in chapter four, verse um, six, five and six, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. And baptism is this, this ritual, this ceremony that, that's very old. It would have been a, a normal thing to the early church because other, uh, the, the Jewish people practiced baptism too. And it, it was, if you wanted to be a part of the community, you would express that through this ritual of going into the water, going under the water and coming back up out of the water. And that was kind of your right of initiation into the community of faith. And we, we do these kind of things today. I was reading recently what it takes to become a U.S. citizen. There's a lot of things it takes to become a U.S. citizen, but one of the things is, is there's a ritual. There's, a, there's an oath-taking ceremony. And, and baptism in, in many ways is like that. And it's, it's doing two things. It's, it's where the, the follower of Jesus proclaims something. They say that they trust in Christ and they want to be part of Jesus' people. When these uh, men and women get into the water, this morning, I'm going to ask them, do you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? And do you intend to follow him for the rest of your life? But then baptism is also an initiation into the community. Baptism isn't, this is why we're all here. You can't just go out into the woods and baptize yourself. That's not how it works. The reason we're all here is because as the church, we are affirming the calling on these people. We are saying, yeah, you are a follower of Jesus and we welcome you into our community. And so again, in the, in the baptism uh, tub, we're gonna say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we do to proclaim our faith is something called communion or the Lord's Supper. And typically communion is the center of our service. We've uh, logistically chosen to um, uh, omit that today. I'm super bummed about that, but it had to be. But the communion meal, the, the, the Lord's Supper is the bread and the, uh, that's 
represents Jesus' body broken on the cross and the, and the cup that represents his blood shed. And every week, typically we, we gather before that and we take it into ourselves and we remember who we are. We remember who's we belong, whom we belong to. N.T. Wright talks about communion like a birthday party. At a birthday party, you remember the day that someone was born. You celebrate the day that they're with you today. And you say things like many happy returns or uh, you tagline the happy birthday song with and many more because you want them to live into the future. Communion is like that. Communion remembers a day in history when Jesus died on a cross for our sins. It celebrates a day today when we take, we remind ourselves of Jesus' nourishment of our souls. We take this, this food into our body and say, Jesus is in me animating my life. And we remember a day in the future because Jesus, when he initiated the communion meal said, I'm not going to eat this with you until the day that I eat it in the kingdom of God. And so we're looking forward to that day. We're celebrating today and we're looking back. And these two things, baptism and communion, they're a big deal. Again, I like, the, I like the word allegiance. Do you bear allegiance to Jesus Christ? Because it's a warfare term and we're in the midst of a battle. There are, there are forces of darkness that want the message of the cross put away. There are forces in this city that want evil deeds to be done. Nobody, the, 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 the work of God's enemies doesn't just go away because we're modern people and we don't believe such things. It's here and it's real. And by declaring yourself a follower of Jesus in baptism and by taking the communion meal as a body, you're saying we're fighting against the forces of darkness in Coeur d'Alene. So that's proclaiming your salvation. What does it look like to live as a follower of Jesus? We're placed in a church. There's no, we talked about this last, last week, but there is no such thing as a Christian that is not part of the church. Unfortunately, there is such a thing. There are many people that follow Jesus apart from his church, but that was never intended to be the case. And so God places us into his body. Chapter one, verse 23 of Ephesians. Back up to 22, he says, he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And the body metaphor is incredibly powerful because think about your body. Your body is one. Your DNA runs through every cell in your body and every cell in your body is the same in some sense. But then also every cell in your body is different in some sense. You have different body parts, different cell types, different organs, and they all do different things. And when you don't have those things, when you lose a limb or when your DNA's chromosomes are missing something, it makes it challenging. 
It's 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 a hardship for your body and and the body of Christ is the same way. You become a follower of Jesus and then you get implanted into the body because you have a purpose. You have a job to do. And we all gather together and we and we we figure out together what what job do we have to do? What's my role? What's your role? How's God made you to fit into this body? And then lastly, what is it like to work as a follower of Jesus? Look at Ephesians 4, verse 11. Paul says, He, Jesus, himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. And what everybody likes to focus on in that book or that, that verse is the pastors and the teachers and the evangelists and the prophets. Am I one of those special people? That's not really the point. Those special people aren't really that special. They're there to give everybody else the tools that they need to do the work of the ministry. We all have been given gifts. We've all been given callings, places in the body and gifts jobs and tools and I, this is a silly way to say this, but superpowers, kids. Like Jesus gives us superpowers, spiritual powers that, that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And we, we get the opportunity to use those every day of our life as followers of Jesus, wherever we've been called to in tandem with his body. And just as we, as we transition, we're going we're gonna to do this baptism and, and seven people today are going to proclaim their faith in Jesus. Notice again, if you, if you work from the top down here, what is, it, what is it about becoming a Christian that you do? Nothing. Jesus does it. To become part of Jesus' people, Jesus' body, to follow Christ, that's all been done for you. And so then we get the opportunity to say, yeah, I'm one of those. I'm, I'm a follower of Christ. I believe the gospel. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus says, okay, here's, here's some superpowers. Here's a job I want you to do. I'm going to help you do it. I'm going to give you the energy to do it. I'm going to give you the power to do it. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, not, not so that you can earn my love, but because you already have it. Because, because you've already been adopted into the family. There are chores to do. And, and his love for us has nothing to do with how well we do our chores or what chore we've been given or how long we've been part of the family or how much we know about the family history. None of that matters. We get the opportunity to grow in those things because he already loves us. And so we're going to we're going to proclaim that in a few minutes. And the and the seven men and women that are going to do that are going to to answer the question, yes, 
I am a follower of Jesus. And, and for some of them, they've been followers of Jesus for quite a while and they've just never taken this step. And that's awesome. For some of them, they've just recently decided like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to take this seriously. I want to live my life a different way. I believe the gospel. And that's awesome. And so they're going to do that in the water. And our job is to cheer and hoot and holler and celebrate the fact that they're proclaiming their faith in Christ. And if, if there's anybody here this morning that's like, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not a Christian. Maybe I believe some things about the Bible. Maybe I grew up in a Christian home, but I ha- I'm not really following Jesus. I wouldn't say I pledge my allegiance to Christ. I don't live my life in a way where I even think about what Jesus would have to say about it. And you're thinking, maybe I should, maybe I want to. Maybe you have questions. I'm not really into like making people stand up or raise their hands or do awkward things like that other than being baptized because that's super awkward. But Jesus said we needed to do that. Um, So I'm not gonna, I don't wanna call anybody out, but if that's rumbling around in your soul, do something about it. Talk to somebody about it. If you came with a friend who's a follower of Jesus, talk to them about it afterwards. If you have family that are followers of Christ, say, hey, you know, I have questions. You guys believe this crazy stuff about this guy that rose from the dead. Tell me something about that. But don't just ignore it because it's a big deal. Because the good news of the gospel applies to you too. And Jesus is eager for you to trust him. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to come back up. And uh, we're going to do this. God, thanks for today. Thanks for not rain. <laughs> God, we... Uh, We love you. We bless you. We trust you, Lord Jesus. You have you've called us to this amazing calling. This, co- this calling that has just universal importance. You are making all things new. And, and you're saying, Revelation Church, help me do that. I've placed you in this city so that you can help me do that. So you can help me introduce myself to people that don't know me so that you can help me heal broken hearts, mend broken relationships, and and ultimately restore the creation to the way it's supposed to be. And God, as as we stand up today and say, yes, we are yours, God, may we fight back the darkness. May we do a blow to the enemy in our proclamation that Jesus is Lord. And there is no other. We praise you. And we magnify your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur podcast. 
Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.